All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so I'm not going to say I didn't see this coming. Uh, first of all, good evening. Uh, I'm Josh, uh, a.k.a. Cujo. Uh, we do this meeting every two weeks uh, just to keep the community informed uh, of what's going on. Obviously, lately, uh, probably for the last six months or so, um, the updates in terms of what's going on with uh, regulations and whatnot has been slow. We're all, you know, waited, waiting with bated breath uh, for December when the FAA is saying that they are going to be dropping uh, quite a few uh, releasing everything. Things. Yeah, including remote ID and uh, community-based organization requirements and so on and so forth. Possibly uh, the possibly recreational the test. Yep, the, the recreational test. Um, so, you know, we're kind of on the, in the waiting phase right now. So in the meantime, we've been trying to keep people informed uh, on the various things that are, are happening in the UAS uh, air, airspace, essentially, or the news space, uh, to, to kind of pun that out. Um, and some of this has bearing on um, those things that we're waiting for. So in this first one, uh, like I said, I can't say that I didn't see this coming, um, but UAvionics um, has received a patent for remote identification. Um, for those who don't know who UAvionics is, uh, they created, uh, it was called the Ping, I believe, and uh, it was a, I don't know, I think it was like a f five or eight gram uh, U. Uh, ADSB um, receiver uh, that you could put on your drone. They ran about 250 bucks, um, and now uh, these guys are obviously just pivoting into remote identification. Um, these guys are also a part of the um, co uh, this uh, coalition. Sorry. Commercial drone uh, uh, yeah, alliance. CDA. Yep. Thank you. God, my brain is uh, not functioning so is this, today. Is this net? Is this networked or a broadcast? Capability? This is broadcast, I do believe. So yeah, that's, um, that's, that's good. Direct broadcast remote identification device for unmanned aircraft systems uh, addresses the critical need for direct air-to-air -air transmission of UAS identification. Um, so. Uh, it says uh, UAS uh, remote ID functionality has become one of three technologies along with command and control, detect and avoid, uh, critical to enabling safe and secure UAS operations over people and beyond visual line of sight. Um, obviously, it's being referred to as the digital license plate. Um, and it says, while transmission of this data can be accomplished over mobile networks, air-to-air -air broadcast functionality is critical for delivery of this information in rural areas. Um, so uh, it's expected to, or the FAA is expected to publish its final rule by the end of 2020, just as I was saying earlier. Um, and uh, the broadcast capability of this device will be a component of the standard remote ID type from the, uh, uh, which is required for any UAS, which flies greater than 400 feet in any direction from the control station, which hopefully is something they'll be shifting in the final proposal. Yes. So, um, you know, this kind of, it depends on the, the, the problem with this is that, 
you know, we knew somebody was going to patent it and I had no doubt that it was going to be UAVionics. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's going to be, this is going to keep the price. This could potentially keep the price of remote ID components on the end. And as such as, um, TextJet was saying, yeah, it could, you know, companies will have to pay royalties to UAVionics and that, that cost will be rolled right down to the customer. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the price of uh, such units are going to be, but um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, potential potential upside of a patent a patent like this is that you know, if if there's any type of sensible uh, licensing, it could result in a a, uh, a de facto standard, which mm -hmm. would be a good thing, and then yes. Then, then there'd be commonality and you know the uh, UTM would become more possible. And so we'll see what happens. But I, I agree with the with TextJet. There's uh, this is an opportunity for mischief. Yes. Have they said when this as far as this goes, like how it's gonna either be implemented into a quad or if that's gonna like start to cause issues with like home builds? So <clears throat> according to uh According to the the NPRM, the the proposal, the original proposal from the FAA, uh, any home built quads would be considered amateur, and any amateur class quads or drones, which would be fixed wing and obviously quadcopters, um, would be relegated to a fixed flying site approved by the FAA, which basically uh, would roll down at this point probably to an AMA field. The problem with it is, is those fields have to be approved by the FAA and they have to go under re-approval uh, every four years, I believe. And the expectation from the FAA, uh, and they state it as such, is that they uh, slowly uh, rule these uh, flying fields out and decrease the amount and they will never increase the amount. Um, so slowly, everything would have to be remote ID, which means uh, no home builds later on down the road because you won't have anywhere to fly them. Uh, so it it's kind of the slow death. Um, so yeah, they're they're really classifying anything ba basically home built as as an amateur. Um, the only way around that is is if a manufacturer is supplying one hundred percent of the kit. Um, and you can't deviate from that kit. So, so basically yeah. getting around, it would be like bind and fly type stuff. Exactly. RTF. Yeah. Ready to fly, uh, kind of, kind of stuff. Um, so, and the problem with that aspect is, is all those systems, according to the NPRM would have to be approved by the FAA. So for example, DJI could walk into the FAA and get approval but then you've got smaller companies like Rotoriot, GetFPV, uh, Race Day, who create, who build bind and flies and sell them to their customers. Uh, the approval process would probably cost many thousands of dollars, and for each different model, um, anytime you change a component, you'd have to get it reapproved. Um, so it create it creates a, a pretty big. Uh, step in the wrong direction from from our point of view and a lot of uh both us and a lot of other uh, organizations and companies 
you know, put in their comments in response to the NPRM that that's, you know, just, it's untenable, uh, essentially. So basically if you're not DJI, get out. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got other, I mean, obviously there's other big companies, uh, Skydio and, and, you know, uh, unique and DJI and stuff like that, that would be able to, you know, suck that cost up and, and they can, you know, again, pass that cost off to the consumer at a minimal hit because of the volume of sales that they do. Uh, but other companies, smaller companies. Yeah. So as we were working on the, uh, safety culture presentation and, uh, task force, uh, report that will be presented on the 22nd of this month, next week to the FAA at the drone advisory committee. One of the things that was really positive is we were able to gain agreement across the, uh, manned, uh, aircraft associations, um, manufacturers, that regulations really should be proportionate to the risk of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And so we had we've had we had hours of discussions, uh, and with an effort to not get directly into uh, remote ID, but uh, there was absolute agreement that yeah, you know, we should not encumber aircraft that are uh, demonstrably safer. Uh, with uh, regulations that are that were created for aircraft where there's a loss of life uh, year after year, year after year. So, well, remain positive. We'll see what yep. uh, what sort of surprises the FAA can <clears throat> create for us in December. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is some interesting news. So, uh, drone responders and ASTM International partnered together to standardize public safety UAS training. Um, so, uh, ASTM, if you don't know, they basically develop uh, transparent standards. Uh, one of the standards that they have uh, worked on in the UAS space is remote ID. Uh, and their response to that remote ID scenario was something that we really kind of understood and it made sense and it wasn't overbearing. Um, but at the same time, uh, the FAA has kind of set that aside at this point that we know of. Um, but this, uh, they, uh, ASTM has partnered with drone responders uh, to develop a training strategy for public safety and uh, emergency service sectors. Um, so this would be your police, your fire. Um, I would say the, your search and rescue, um, those types of organizations, uh, <clears throat> state and local organizations, uh, to be able to uh, train and learn how to use drones to do what they need them to do, um, whether that be for investigation or uh, looking for hot spots and fires or, you know, any search and rescue using FLIR. Um, and uh, really good that they're, this is something that we've talked about in the past as an organization um, for developing a standard training for first responders. Um, so. Yeah, and this, is, this I think is positive in the sense mm-hmm. that this adds a physical testing or hands-on uh, testing of uh, a student flying a, a UAS and gaining proficiency and then being tested on that proficiency. Yes. And so great place to start with uh, uh, with first responders and the uh, the organization uh, 
is uh, is sound where we've uh, been talking to and working with uh, this uh, the first responder group and where i've also signed up to be a member of asdm and there's a, a meeting coming up on november two three <clears throat> four to read three through five or two through five uh on the f38 committee subcommittee which is uh, uh the committee that handles all uas lots of projects coming out of it and the one that uh, Josh, Josh mentioned on Remote ID came out of that group. So mm-hmm. a, a good group to, uh, they do, uh, and it is international, even though the A is for American. Uh, so that that helps because the ASTM creates uh, standards that are picked up by uh, both out of you know, uh, New Zealand, out of uh, European Union, UK, Canada, etc. All right. So we've got two kind of competing articles but uh let me grab this one first this comes from drone life um it is now official there are no department of justice funds for dji drones um no agency may use uh department of justice funds for any unmanned aircraft manufactured by a covered foreign entity um, which would be an entity that's determined or designated within the Department of Justice to be subject or vulnerable to extrajudicial direction from a foreign government. Um, so it basically is stating that uh, DJI and any drones manufactured in China, uh, which uh, the Chinese national intelligence law, it says, passed in 2017, which requires Chinese companies to cooperate with the government and other regulations that could require companies to provide access to their network assets upon demand. Um, so essentially, this has been on the table for a while, and it's part of DO. I think the DOD reauthorization at this point. Correct. Uh, Section um, eight eight five four. Uh, that. Uh, Basically, no government entities can use government funds to field uh, uh, any kind of drones uh, made in China uh, for fear of, uh, obviously, uh, information gathering and and whatnot. So um, the DOJ has gone ahead and said that you're not using our funds to to do this. And uh, this has caused some issues in different parts of the country. Uh, the uh, Department of the Interior is using, uh, was using DJI, uh, some DJI drones to uh, track wildfires and perform um, controlled burns and stuff like that. And it hasn't been able to do that. Um, and those kinds of situations lead to some of the fires that we're seeing, um, especially on the West Coast of the country. Um but obviously China bad is, you know, the big uh, push right now. And um, we're kind of seeing the rollout of that. Um, so in spite of that. Yeah, what phones does the DOJ use? Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, but as this goes, as this goes through the uh, Department of Defense reauthorization, that'll become, that'll be a law. And mm-hmm. so that uh, that's a you know it will turn into a regulation, but it, it'll be a mandate from Congress. And yeah. So not not good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, by doing that, I, they're really they're really starting to limit. It, it's kind of the first 
salvo and limiting uh you know access to uh that type of technology for stem programs and stuff like that later on down the road so um dji has unveiled two new um solutions for uh, aerial surveying and LIDAR. Uh, so you got the Zinmuse P1 and the Zinmuse L1. So you've got uh, <clears throat> these massive drones, which look really expensive. <laughs> there, it looks like uh, two new payload solutions for the Matrice 300 RTK. Um, I think these are like $15,000 drones that these uh, are going on. And I'm sure these cam new cameras are probably about the same price, but the Zinmuse L1 uh, has a LiveOx LiDAR module with a 70 degree field of view and a 20 megapixel camera. That's uh, better than my camera. <laughs> um, with a one, minute, one inch uh, CMOS sensor um, and can generate a true color point cloud uh, up to two square kilometers. That's crazy. And it does a point rate of 240 points per second. Good grief. I don't need one, but I want one. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what would I do with this? But holy crap, that would be fun. <laughs> I mean, um, assuming it's got an impressive service ceiling. Oh, good grief. Um, the P1 is uh, meant for full-frame photogrammetry. So photogrammetry, if you don't know, is using uh, multiple, and by multiple, I mean hundreds of uh, regular photographs to create uh, 3D images. So you can use this to do uh, mapping, surveying, um, all that kind of stuff. It'd be great for construction companies and, and uh, city planners and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even great for, you know, someplace like the Department of the Interior that needs to map their uh, map and track what's going on in the uh, in their land. So, uh, but, you know, kind of bad. Um, so equipped with a mechanical shutter, uh, TimeSync 2.0. Let's see. Just looking. Just Oh, a 45 megapixel camera. There you go, Dan. That's what we need <laughs> right there. All the better to record the uh, the plane coming right at it. Right. Uh, so this is able to cover three square kilometers. The the Zenmuse P1 uh, able to cover three square kilometers in a single flight. So definitely want. Very nice. Um. So some gentlemen. This comes from uh, Fox Atlanta. Uh, was arrested for shooting down a company, a utility company's drone that was inspecting electrical towers. Um, so I guess his name is Edward Neil Pope, been charged with criminal damage to property in the second degree and reckless conduct. Um, uh, I wonder if this was the story that someone was talking about in one of our, one of our other channels. Yeah. Somebody said somebody near them was going to get in trouble for shooting something down. Uh-oh. But I don't remember where that, that was. Uh, yeah, down. see, that was kind of my point, drone. Alex, is is somebody finally got charged for shooting yeah. a drone down. Yeah. yeah, it's a felony. Yes, Texan, exactly right. It, those sounded like local laws, laws. I would imagine that the uh, feds will follow up with charges. And yeah. I know the guy so, in Minnesota who did that this summer got in trouble, but I don't, didn't ever hear what the final verdict was. Hmm. 
Interesting. So I, I guess the point is, is that we've seen a lot of this kind of going on. Uh, people saying they're going to shoot down drones and people actually doing it. And it seems like charges have been few and far between. Um, so, you know, somebody finally, that was kind of my point, is somebody finally got arrested. So pretty interesting. Uh, speaking of China, um, funny, funny story is I was watching what Angel Has Fallen Today, that Gerard Butler Secret Service movie where they launch... If you haven't seen it, they launch a bunch of drones out of the back of a truck, and they're like kamikaze drones that explode on impact. Well, you know, somebody had to go and make it. <laughs> it's like the drones from Venom. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, CETC uh, has released a new video claiming to show the successful test of a barrage swarm, which launches 48 attack drones to saturate a target. Just what we needed, and they're probably all sub two fifty gram. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh hey, they actually mentioned uh, Angel has fallen. So there you go. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, it was it, uh, which was uh, inspired by the U.S. Navy's Locust Swarming Attack Drone project in development since twenty fifteen. Um, multifunction processing unit for swarm intelligence. Uh, they claim this unit includes a complete flight control system, mission planning, intelligent decision-making, and dynamic networking between drones. Doesn't um, mention that they borrowed the software from the U.S. Navy, doesn't <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief. So, hey, you know, because we needed something else like that in the, <laughs> in the world. Let's see. And I believe... Yes, this comes from General Atomics has released their own, uh, not really released, but uh, their uh, drone manufacturing plant has uh, released the Sparrowhawk. Um, they're considering it a small uh, UAS, um, and it's an airborne launch and recovery uh, aircraft. So it can be launched from wingtip of another drone like a, a a raptor or whatever they're uh, called and then it can be re-picked up uh, i believe in air um let's see a c-130 transport aircraft would retrieve them in the air and carry them home and can be prepared for use within 24 hours again Dang, that's a, that things these these little things are fast if a yeah C1, if a c-130 can pick it up with a rel think of the relative velocity required to land one of these things in the bay of a C-130. In the air. <laughs> yeah, not so much the speed. A C-130 can drop down to, like, just under 130 miles per hour. It's yeah, the that's still. It's the drop wash that these things have to overcome. All right. Yeah, yeah. I used to jump the out of those. That comes off they do go kind of slow. <laughs> I, I was uh, i was awful. thinking as 100 100 miles an hour plus is fast mm -hmm. wow that's funny he used to jump out of them oh my gosh so you got you got predator drones and raptor drones uh carrying other drones so uh, you know um a reaper reaper not raptors sorry so uh in terms of news that's all i have uh for today it was oh no i do have one more uh sorry 
got lost in my list. Giant master list here. Uh, so when it so when it's connected to another drone, is it counted as one UAS or two? Hmm. I would consider it one until it releases a payload. Technically. All right. So Transport Canada approves beyond visual line of sight commercial drone operations. So. Um, Transport Canada has issued the second special flight operations certificate for beyond visual line of sight flights in uncontrolled airspace, uh, utilizing infrastructure masking and iris automa automations on board detect and avoid solution. Yeah. So this, this article piqued my interest because a lot of the smart cone heads involved in the ASTM uh, remote ID felt that LIDAR was not an appropriate detect and avoid technology. So now we've got IRIS gaining mm -hmm. uh, Transport Canada approval and LIDAR was the, you know, the basic tenant of uh, the DJI uh, announcement that we just saw above. So mm -hmm. could be that that ASTM early thought might have been uh, correct a couple of years ago, but this is really interesting that uh, you know, LIDAR is now getting... Uh, seen as an appropriate detect and avoid technology. I mean, in all honesty, LIDAR is more detailed than what's currently in use for detect and avoid. They're using sonar right now uh, yes. in DJI, correct? Yes. So, I mean, it's a more accurate technology. I don't understand why it wouldn't be appropriate. Well, speaking of LIDAR, you missed the biggest news of the week. Johnny, oh, FPV, Johnny FPV putting an iPhone 12 on a drone oh, and all that. having it be part of the Apple announcement of the phone. Yes. <laughs> and I that did. phone has LiDAR in it. Wait, what? <laughs> this was okay, the, hang on. This was the, it's the uh, Apple 12 this announcement. This was a photo with the, uh, with the, either the photo was doctored or the video was doctored. Or well, the, the, the video the was very questionable. The video has the, like those 360 cameras. So it automatically took out a bunch of things and makes the drone look funny. Well, they had to make the, yeah, the camera is actually third person view. So that, and then they, in post, they, they removed the wires and yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Johnny yeah. came on. Uh, I saw one of the posts on Facebook where he said, yeah, they removed uh, like wires from the FP, uh, DJI FPV system yeah. uh, from the it's photo funny. and stuff like that. So, yeah. And text jet range on LIDAR. I think that is one of the, uh, one of there the issues of, of LIDAR. Does yeah. somebody have a link to the video? That's too funny. <laughs> I, I didn't grab a screenshot of the third-person view at the time. But that was played to millions of people while they were watching the iPhone announcement. Yeah, well, it's good that they got Johnny FPV. He's I mean, a very capable pilot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. takes safety very seriously, so he's a good ambassador for us. Yeah, I, mean, I thought, thought Steele's uh, retort was actually pretty good too. I think he strapped an NVIDIA graphics. <laughs> he did the brand head. new 3090 <laughs> to his drone. I, oh, that's funny. That's I'm just funny. impressed that he trusted that drone with an iPhone 11. Well, I mean, the. the he doesn't care. He's being paid. Yeah, I mean, he's getting paid how much probably from Apple to run that. So, and the phone they probably gave him to begin with. So, I mean. That's the, the bigger cost. I mean, if you, oh yeah, here's Steele's picture. 
Let me see. Copy one. Is that? Oh my god! Of course, Steel <laughs> does that. <laughs> of course, Steel would do that. That's hilarious. Let's see. I was looking for the actual video. Yeah. Bum, bum. Yeah, oh, well, it's somewhere on Facebook. So, meanwhile, uh, um, Dan, while you're uh, prepping for winter, uh, we just uh, hit 144 days of 100 degrees plus. So <laughs> That's crazy. We seriously have a chance of snow this weekend. I hate you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, but yeah. think of all of that awesome footage you're going to get. Mm. Yeah. Can you say yeah, conformal I'm, coding? I'm right I definitely do that. And yeah, we're going from like 70 today to I think a high of 40 something tomorrow. Good grief. All right. So in terms of news, guys, that's all I have. Um, and uh, Dave, do you have anything for us? I don't. Um, when is the next Zach coming up? It is uh, next, next Thursday. And there's the 22nd. That's, I believe, about 10 a.m. and it will be live streamed. 10 that's Eastern. Yeah, so we, the FPV Freedom Coalition, definitely has to get some more uh, advertising going for that drone advisory mm -hmm. committee meeting that Dave, you will be presenting at. I will. And a, fingers minute, crossed, 10 minute segment that they will announce some new DAC members, which hopefully will include some people like yourself. Yes, <laughs> that would be nice. That would be really nice. Uh, will certainly be a uh, question that I'll uh, encourage uh, uh, Jay Merkel to um, say something about, even if it's that you know they're not going to mention it. I was uh, it was suggested to me by some longstanding DAC members that uh, the FAA does not move that quickly, so don't anticipate that uh, this would be um, that they would announce the new members at this coming meeting. But we'll be watching. Watching it during class. No, Alex. No, no, no. <laughs> so there are two. This is pretty funny. They're two talking about 3090s and 3080s. These guys are definitely my vintage. So I started with the company the day we announced the 3081. Those are mainframe numbers. Pretty funny. <laughs> long, <laughs> long time ago, far, mm -hmm. far away. Do uh, you remember the old uh, Honeywell system with the the big giant disc platters. I think they're like 15 inches, and certainly there was eight of those in the platter. Okay. Yeah, as when I first started, that was actually in the military. Yeah. We had um, all the civilian PhD guys uh, that were do they they were doing area studies on different parts of the Middle East and pumping their reports out for us. Oh, that's good to see uh, Bruce Simpson X-Jet here must have internet connected at his new house. That's good. Yeah. We're still waiting on the, uh, the the plans for building that ADSB receiver. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Like the cost point that you're working on, Bruce. It looks like a good one. Yeah, Cobalt it's coming. programmer. It's coming. Excellent. I'm just getting sorted here, and then I'll be uh, getting the GitHub thing up and doing the video. I, I know how how hard it is to make videos. A lot of people have no clue how many hours go into every second of a video. Yes. And having moved nine times, we also recognize that it can be uh, somewhat disturbing to your life. So <laughs> we get it. It is. Got to got to stay one step ahead of CIA. 
<laughs> now they'll be sending documents to your old house for the next five years. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know. All right. So anybody else have anything for us? Somebody's got to have some questions. Yeah. We have 15 minutes left. Oh, my gosh. TSO, yeah, these guys are all my vintage. This is really... <laughs> <laughs> I know what punch cards are, but I never had to use them. So, oh, yeah. walking out of the room. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, it really is a cool thing. It is a kumbaya timeshare option. TSO, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so I live, I live about 40 miles north of the center of the universe for the IBM mainframe, so. It's a pretty. It's the the main plant called the Gun Factory because uh, the, we made uh, Winchester rifles during World War II at that. Are uh, you plant. serious? Yeah, it's a, it's a oh, collector's wow. item, an, an IBM Winchester. It's a tough one to find. Wow. Oh, yeah. did you see? Uh, what is it? Win, uh, Microsoft just pulled up their uh, their um, submerged data center. Yes, oh. I did see that. It was uh, kind of gronky, but it did pretty well, and it didn't yeah. uh, it didn't crash due to thermal overload. Oh well, yeah, because it's buried at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> it's probably pretty cold down there. Interesting. I saw I saw pictures when they were pulling it up. It was just it was like really was nasty, nasty on the outside, but yeah, the inside uh, they said it was uh, doing really well. So it's like oh. uh, if I ever find the first quad I ever flew at the bottom of the pond. <laughs> <laughs> I still have one buried in a pond somewhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, that and fun little tidbit of information for you guys. Uh, some of the computers that are super reliant in the upkeep and maintenance and prevention of an uh-oh moment with the United States nuclear uh, program still run Windows 95. That's not shocking. That's not shocking at all. <laughs> That's actually safer. Reason. There's no new vulnerabilities being found. Exactly. Well, well the we, problem well, is, <laughs> we sold the, we sold the Soviet Union a whole bunch of uh, small IBM mainframes because they were running uh, their their nuclear arsenal on uh, uh, what they called um, plywood mainframes, which was a reverse engineered uh, IBM 360. And they're just like here, here to to um, you know prevent an oopsie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yep. So bringing this us, was, yeah, this was year two thousand. Bring us back around to drones. Dirty rat. Anybody want to help answer his question about the difference between BLLES thirty two regular and Jazz Maverick? Yeah. Oh, and is, boy, Jazz, a... is, is Jazz Maverick uh, M thirty two BL? Jazz Maverick just, is I... a special firmware you can buy to make BL BL S, I believe, do bi-directional D shot. Yes. Ah. So you okay. can do RPM filtering? I, that's what I want to say. I'm not familiar yeah. with that because I've only really used BLLE32, which can do the bi-directional D-shot and do RPM filtering. Right. BLLE so, regular would be really old. BLLE-S yeah, would be slightly newer. BLLE32 is the is newest. Pretty. Yeah, so you have BLLE, which was for the older generation of ESCs, kind of when I was starting... Uh, regular BL Heli was the the main thing. That and uh, what was the other one that was still a thing back then? Um, Simon K. No, back when oh. I was starting. This is this and, is the. In an it, answer to 
uh, dirty rats question. BL, BL Heli 32 can run on any ESC? No. No, BL Heli 32 can only run on ESCs with 32-bit processors on them. Um, and so... there's, yeah, the tricky part is that you have to know what you have and then use the right software to talk to them. Because if you use BL Heli software, you can't talk to the 32 ESCs. And yeah, people get confused by that because it's not really obvious. Yeah, so when you're buying your, the, the two that are main on the market right now are going to be a Heli S and be a Heli 32. Um, and just keep in mind which one you're using. So you're using the right version of the software to configure them. Uh, BL Heli 32 gives you a little, a, a few more options and it takes some options away. So as an example, BL Heli S, you can still set dampen light to on or off. Uh, whereas BL Heli 32, it's on by default, and I think you have to jump through a couple extra hoops to get it off if you want it off. Um, it allows you to do startup tones. BL Heli 32 allows you to do startup tones. The processing time on the ESC obviously is faster, so it can respond to throttle changes and whatnot quicker, although the, you know, the feel of it is probably negligible uh for the untrained um but uh dave you had something to toss in there yeah if you're gonna in if you do corrupt an esc while programming it not that i've ever done that <laughs> more than five or six times <laughs> you you can purchase a cheap arduino and uh program the and flash the uh the mm -hmm. code back on and uh and resuscitate an esc pretty well yep reasonably well documented and lots of couple of videos on it and uh, it works jesus it, it is but it's a pain but <laughs> yes it is copy king blue yes but yes, after yes. you after you smoked uh you know three four and one escs uh, and it's like oh yeah maybe i can just save one of these so dirty rat <laughs> hopefully the website you bought that from will tell you exactly what esc is your ESCing drone has on it which yeah, obviously your problem is. I'm sure it's an S. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it's probably going to be a BL Heli S. Um, however, you know, just double check it so you're using the right software to to go in there. Um, the BL Heli 32. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, but you don't have to uh, do the initialization where you do the throttle up, throttle down. Um, uh, the uh, is it right you don't have to um uh, am i missing the word configure them the calibrate thank you whereas the bl heli s i believe you still do um but it's easy enough to walk through there's plenty of youtube tutorials on how to calibrate your escs well i guess let me rephrase you don't that. have to if calibrate you're using, okay. if you're using d shot you don't have to calibrate if you're using multi-shot pro or one shot then you do have to calibrate. So it's right. a digital versus analog, not a 32S versus S thing. Yes, you are correct. Thank you. It's been a while since I've had to calibrate an EFC. So. <laughs> um, 2020, we still have to calibrate things? I know, right? <laughs> That's OK. I spent half of yesterday trying to calibrate a gas detector, and I wanted to bang my head against a wall. <laughs> What do you All mean right. you're detecting CO2? What else we got? Uh, anybody have anything else for this evening? Tech shit's still typing. BL Heli S. There <laughs> you go. Props. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
All right. So uh, next week we will be off, but do keep seeing or keep watch for the DAC meeting on Thursday that will be live streamed. We will post links to it on the Facebook. Uh, we'll probably drop them here in Discord too if uh, that's how you do follow us and communicate with us. Um, Dave does have a, a a grand 10 minutes to present and I'm sure it'll be excellent as it was last time. Um, not as fancy those... graph graphics, but good content and a great, uh, a great team of, uh, from individuals. From, yeah. yeah. From Boeing to Alpa to, uh, AOPA to, uh, Dallas police force to, um, the mayor of Colorado Springs. And it's quite a diverse group and that's BN awesome. And BNSF and others. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. And uh, I'm sure there's uh, Dave. What are the other presentations that they're going to cover on the during the meeting besides yours? Uh, mostly, it, it is the uh, safety culture, and um, uh, that is uh, the other elements will be recreational, presented by Chad Boudreaux. Uh, it will be um, traditional aircraft, presented by uh, Houston Mills of VP uh, UPS. Vice President of UPS uh, mm -hmm. air, Aircraft Operations, and then uh, uh, large enterprise companies using um, uh, UAS, and that'll be presented by Todd Gretz. Uh, these are all, all four or 10-minute segments. In addition, okay. there'll be the responses back on the facility map. So the way it works is uh, we, put, we put together these presentations, and the, the two presentations back on uh, February 27 at the last stack were uh, F, uh, UAS facility maps and cutting the grids was the key uh, uh, action there as well as UTM and so the what the uh, DAG or the FAA does at the following DAC is they come back and they say here is our response to what was presented and recommended to the DAC at the last meeting Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, when the res their response to the remote ID uh, work that we did in uh, 2019 was yes, we received the report. Thank you very much. That literally <laughs> was the was the essence <laughs> of the response. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, it's a little more uh, substantive uh, uh, for both the uh, UA uh, F yeah the UAS facility maps uh, tasking group as well as the UTM tasking group. But those and then. We don't. I'm not sure, but uh, any uh, new uh, tasking groups uh, that the FAA will wants to have will be will be assigned. Exactly right. Yep. All right. Well, definitely looking forward to the responses from the older uh, groups as well as uh, the presentations from the newer ones, and uh, we'll be interested to see what the new assignments are going to be, what the new tasking groups will be. So. This is what the third or fourth round of tasking groups? Uh, for you know the ones that I've been in, these are this is the fifth uh, tasking group that I've worked on. So yeah, it is I think the third group. So they they third started round. in yeah this is like the DAC two point they call it. And so this yeah. is a reconstituted uh, DAC, and from uh, let's see June, October, February, and then uh, now October. So. Absolutely. All right, guys, uh, I will give you back uh, the extra five minutes. Uh, thank you for coming tonight. We appreciate it. Um, 
definitely uh, appreciate your guys' support and um, you guys being here and asking questions. And, and, yeah, and hopefully we'll see you again in two weeks and we'll have more information on the DAC after that. True story. Yes. yes. All right, guys, stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, again, we absolutely appreciate you guys joining our meeting tonight. Have a great night, guys. Thank you. Have a good evening.